As we were singing Christ the Lord is Risen today, I thought of something that we could try out here. There's a true story that took place in Russia when it was still under communism. Actually, it was back in the 1930s. Russia had been under communism for about 20 years. Um, and there was uh, a commissar, that's a, a main communist leader, who came to a particular little town. And they did this on a regular basis. They'd go to the different towns, and they'd have kind of these gathering points. They usually gathered in what used to be the church in the town, and they closed the churches down. And they'd gather them together, and they'd have sort of a pep rally for communism, and they'd have somebody talking about the, the, the joys and the blessings of communism. And so this commissar got up and did that for two hours. He laid out this long speech, and the people were required to come, and they had to listen to it. And at the end, he said, does anyone have anything they want to ask or any comments they want to make? And in the back, there was the, the former priest, the Orthodox priest who'd been in this town, ministering in this town before communism came for years. He had remained there. He hadn't been put in jail, but he remained there. And, um, and he raised his hand, and he's he, a man in his late 70s at that age. He raised his hand, and he said, may I say something? And the commissar knew exactly who he was, and he said, yes, you may come up and say something. But as he came up, he said, you have two minutes to respond. And uh, the, the, the old priest smiled, and he said, I don't need two minutes. He said, I can do it in 30 seconds. And he stood up in front of the people, the people who, to whom he had ministered for years, the, the adults whom he had baptized as children, those who had grown up and had been in the church when he had been the pastor, and 20 years had gone by. But he stood up in front of the people, and in a booming voice, he said to them, This is my response Christ is risen. And the people, remembering the liturgy that they had said year after year at Easter, responded to him in unison and said, He is risen indeed. And he turned to the commissar, smiled, and walked off the stage. Let's try that together, okay, this morning? Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I agree. Let's look at the scriptures this morning. We want to begin by looking at a passage in John 11. This is before Jesus went to the cross. This is the story about Lazarus. And you might remember that Lazarus was ill. And it says in verse 1, he was ill. And so in verse 3, the sisters of Lazarus sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. Now, Jesus, it says again, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So twice we see in this passage that Jesus loved and cared for this family. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Later on in the passage, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the, res in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. And then after his death, 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salome, went to the tomb after on that Sunday morning. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Let's pray together for a moment. Father in heaven, thank you for these verses which remind us that Jesus has power over death itself. Thank you for Jesus' resurrection and that he was not in that tomb, but he was raised from the dead. Help us, Lord, to think about the implications of that now, even as we think on Potter and your scriptures this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's things in this life that you understand in your mind, but you never quite grasp until you have some experiences that bring the reality of that truth to your own life. Death is like that. George Bernard Shaw said, the statistics of death are very impressive. One out of every one. And we all know that, don't we? We all know that we face the reality of death in our own lives. But it's not until you come into confrontation with that, in the death of loved ones or friends, where it comes home in a reality. The first time that really hit me was when I was going into my junior year in college. I had spent two years at Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia, and been involved in a Bible study for those two years with a small group of guys. And uh, now I was transferring to a different school so I could be involved in a youth ministry in the Washington, D.C. area. And I'll never forget that because, that, that day because we had taken a, probably somewhere around 300 high school kids off to Ocean City, Maryland, for a, uh, for a day at Ocean City. And we were coming back late that evening, and we had about four or five buses of kids. And we were coming back, and we had to slow down and stop for a period of time on the Washington City Beltway. And then slowly we were able to move through with one lane, and, and we saw lights flashing. But it was late at night, and we didn't know what had happened, except that there must have been a bad accident. It wasn't until the next morning that my mother came into the, my bedroom, and, uh, and she said to me, do you know a fellow named Gary Martin? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, his parents just called a few minutes ago. Gary had been one of those guys in that small group Bible study that I was a part of. And what had happened was he had joined about four other fellows from VMI who were going up to summer camp, to the Army summer camp that they had up in Pennsylvania. And while they were driving along the Washington City Beltway, um, they were in the far left lane, the fast lane, and they came over the top of the hill in the fast lane, and there was a semi-trailer truck, a 16-wheeler, that had, for some reason, had, had problems, but instead of moving out of the way, it just stopped right over the crest of that hill. And as Gary and his friends were driving over the crest of that hill, there was nothing they could do. They plowed into that 16-wheeler, and the car was buried underneath the truck. And everyone in the car was dead. And so Gary's parents were calling me because they knew that we were in a Bible study. 
asking me if I would come down and participate in the, in the funeral. And I flew down to Montgomery, Alabama, and for the first time, I saw a friend of mine laid out on a slab. And it changed my whole perspective of death. And that's why we have to look this morning at Philippians. These verses in Philippians. Where Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, even to subject all things to himself. You know, Easter has devolved, in a sense, in our culture down to chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs. And we take the resurrection for granted. We assume it. But Jesus has changed everything, everything because of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, that's what I want us to be thinking about this morning. Because of Jesus' resurrection, our present day today and our future have been radically changed. Let's think about that for a few minutes. What about the future? What the scripture here says in Philippians is our broken and finite bodies are going to be transformed to be like his glorious body. What that passage is saying is that the bodies that we currently have are broken down by the reality of sin in this world. And we feel that brokenness, whether we're exhausted or tired after a long week of work or whether we become sick and are not unable to function, or we just feel the weight of years upon us and the difficulties and the struggles that we go through. And the primary emphasis of Scripture throughout the Scriptures is something that we don't think about very often. And that is that Scripture points out that there are four phases in the history of this world. The first phase was the time of creation. When all things were beautiful and right, but our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And that's the second phase, rebellion. And in that rebellion, they said, we want to do things our own way. And in that rebellion, it brought brokenness to this world. The third phase of the history of this world in the scriptures is the redemption that Jesus has brought. The hallelujah of his resurrection, which has brought new life and new hope into this world. The final phase is the restoration. And this is something we don't think about very much. But the promise of the scripture is, is that Jesus will return. And in his return, those who are dead in Christ will rise to meet him. That means they will literally be given resurrection bodies. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we who are alive and in Christ will rise then as well, and our bodies will be transformed from death to life. From these broken bodies to resurrected bodies. And all the scripture points towards this time of the restoration of the whole world. When not only our bodies will be restored, but the world will be restored. And we will work together with Christ in meaningful things 
in this world because of his glorious kingdom, which is seen throughout the entire world. Now, the question is, until that time, what happens to people when they die? This is the pain, this is the hurt, this is the struggle that Mary and Martha were experiencing. Now, now go back and think about that passage for a minute that we read in John chapter 11. And consider that Jesus loved Martha and Mary. And so when they send messengers and said to them, to, to Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Did you hear? Did you read it? What Jesus' response was? They waited, he waited two days and did absolutely nothing. Now just imagine for a moment. You have a loved one. Maybe it was, it's your wife. Maybe it's a friend, your roommate, who's sick. I mean, we're talking about really sick. So sick you've had to take them to the hospital. So sick you're not sure that they're going to survive. And you call up Brian Pierce. And you say, Brian, Sally's in the hospital. We're struggling over here. Can you come over and be with us? Now, can you imagine Brian then saying, I'm going to wait for two days, and I'll go to the hospital. I mean, how are you going to feel about Brian Pierce? What kind of pastor is Brian hanging out for two days before he comes over to see at the hospital? Absolutely no way you're going to let that happen. You're certainly not going to worship in this church anymore. And yet Jesus hung out for two days before he went to Lazarus. Why would he do such a thing? Martha was asking that question. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And you know something? Mary was asking the same thing because when Jesus goes and sees Mary, the very first words out of her mouth were the same words. You know that for those days that they sent those couriers to Jesus till the time when he was coming, when they were waiting for him, they were saying, but if Jesus was here, but if Jesus was here, but if Jesus was here, and then their brother died. And they've had the funeral. And throughout the funeral, they were saying to themselves, but if Jesus was here. And now Jesus shows up. Now Jesus shows up. But what we have to understand is that Jesus, while he was sad about Lazarus, he wept at that tomb. While he was sad, he had his eyes beyond Lazarus to the death of of death itself. The death of death that he would bring about on the cross. And that is why Paul says, we await the coming of Jesus who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Now, interestingly enough, what happens to us When we die, before Jesus comes again, what happens to us when we die is going... We have an experience of a thing they call... The theologians call the intermediate state. I know this sounds like theological gobbledygook in a sense, but when I was getting ready to, to do the funeral for my grandfather, and I was pondering, what do you say to folks who've just lost a loved one? What do I say to myself? 
I read a sermon, a funeral sermon by a guy named John Owen. And John Owen said, you know why we're scared of death? He said, we're scared of death because it's the separation of our bodies from our souls. And because Jesus hasn't come back yet, there's this thing called the intermediate state. And the intermediate state is the context in which our souls go and be with the Lord, while our bodies are just a shell. Now, we all know what that's like. When I saw my friend Gary Martin laid out on that slab, I said to myself, this isn't Gary. This is a shell of who Gary was. The real Gary that I know is with Jesus. The intermediate state is the separation of the body and the soul through bodily death. Now, our, our souls have never been experiencing anything without a body before. And this is what John Owen was saying in his sermon. He said, of course we're scared of death. We're going to experience something we've never experienced. And that is being souls without bodies for a period of time. The intermediate state is when glorified believers enter the worshiping life of heaven, awaiting their resurrection bodies and life in the restored creation. Everything in the scriptures points towards this restored creation. But until then, we await our resurrection bodies. Now, that may not sound like a very good gig to you. You might think, gosh, entering the worshiping life of heaven, awaiting for resurrection bodies. But let me say something. The longer you live and the more pain you face, the more you look forward to being with Jesus. I so appreciate the black spirituals. We have no understanding of the pain and the agony that our black brothers and sisters went through under slavery. But they created these spirituals to reflect their anticipation of a better day. I'm a poor wayfaring stranger just wandering through this world of woe. And there's no sickness, toil, or danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my mother. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going home. And that's the anticipation that every believer has had. But not just to go home to be with the Lord. But for that glorious day, that greater hope when Jesus returns and our our lowly bodies are transformed to become like his glorious body. And all that hope is surrounded around Jesus' resurrection. Because he lives, we will live forever. Now, I can hear my Marxist friends say to me, well, that sounds like you Christians. Pie in the sky, by and by. Give him a hope for the future. But what about the reality of now? What difference does that make today that Jesus is resurrected from the dead? That you have an anticipation of this glorious day when you shall have a resurrected body that looks like Jesus' body as we see see it in the Scriptures. To that Marxist friend, I would say, the resurrection isn't just about the future, though it is a transformed future. It is a changed future, but it's a changed present as well. And Easter talks about the promise of our citizenship. 
Again, go back and look at that passage. Our citizenship is in heaven, it says. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to have our citizenship being in heaven? It means that today is a different day. It means that the lives that we live today because of his resurrection give us a different citizenship. I remember back in 1976, the bicentennial, some of us were around back in those days, the bicentennial of the United States. And at the bicentennial, there was this worship service at the Lincoln Memorial. And Billy Graham was asked to come and speak at the worship service at the Lincoln Memorial. And he got up, and I remember because a number of our friends and I went to that. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm proud of it. But he said, when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I became a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, he said, I have a dual citizenship. But my primary allegiance is to my citizenship in heaven. Now, the scriptures talk about this citizenship in many different ways. It talks about the fact that we've moved from death to life. We move from the darkness to the light. We've been reborn. We experience resurrection. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But he said, But by God's grace, you who are dead have been made alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. What Paul is saying in this passage in Philippians that we are looking at is that our citizenship has been transformed. We have a citizenship which is in heaven. And that changes everything about the way we live in the present. For me, it was when I was a seventh grader. I've been a churchgoer all my life. But when I was a seventh grader, a friend of mine asked me to come to an activity that his junior high group was doing. And for the very first time, I heard that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Now, I'd heard that, but I'd never heard it. Because this person said, that Jesus wants to come and have a personal relationship with you. That Jesus wants to give you meaning and purpose for your life today. He wants to become your best friend and to give you a reason to live beyond just the momentary. He wants to give you a citizenship that will transform your life today. And I heard it for the first time. And Jesus became my Savior and transformed my life. I became a citizen of heaven. Now, that's happened to many people in this room. But if you do not understand what it means to be a citizen of heaven, I want to invite you into a conversation. I'm not going to do one of these, you know, altar calls and ask people to come forward or to have some dramatic statement in front of people. I simply want you to ponder on Easter Sunday. Have I experienced the resurrection that Jesus brought? Am I a citizen of heaven? Do I understand what that means? The transformation is amazing. 
And you know what? It gives us a purpose for daily existence because not only does it give us citizenship, which is in heaven, it transforms what we do day to day. This is what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 2 when he says he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, that can be a very confusing statement. As a matter of fact, I've had some conversations this week with people who said, I don't really understand what Paul's saying here. Let me see if I can flesh it out for us. Because this makes the resurrection of Christ real in what we do between Sundays. Paul says, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews says, all things right now are in subjection to Christ. But we have a hard time seeing that. As a matter of fact, that's what it says in Hebrews 2. He says, all things are in subjection to Christ, but we have a hard time seeing that. We have a hard time grasping that. In this broken world, we don't see things and experience things as if they're in subjection to Christ. This is the time that we live in between Christ's resurrection and his restoration. And it's called being here but not yet. That is, Jesus is here. He has risen from the dead. He has sent a spirit. His kingdom is here, but we don't see his kingdom in fullness yet. He is subjecting all things to himself, and yet all things are under subjection to him. It is happening, and it has happened. Both and. You say, well, what difference does that make on Easter? It means that we, if we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are literally living every day of our lives for the king. We're living under his kingship. So our work and our relationships, what we do and why we do it, all are to reflect the kingdom of God. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and his kingdom has come, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go out and we begin living in a way to bring his kingdom in. How does that work itself out? Let me tell you a story. When we lived in Duluth down in the Atlanta area, we had a house that was on a septic system. And I had to learn the fact that every few years, you have to get your septic system pumped out for obvious reasons. And so I was trying to find a person who would do that. And a friend of mine said, you need to bring in Harlan Septic, the Harlan Septic System. And they will come in and they'll clean your septic tank. He said, that's the one you ought to go to. So I called him up and Mr. Harlan came over. Now, Mr. Harlan was this big mountain type of a man. I mean, we're talking about six foot three, about 240 pounds, big old hugging beard, gray hair streaming down. And, uh, and we, he agreed to come and clean our septic tank. Now, I, just, I watched the way he did this. I had seen septic tanks cleaned before. Usually a company comes and they have to come and they have to dig out the area and then they, they, they pop the top off and they put this long tube down and they and they draw out everything that's in the septic tank and then they put the top back now if you're really lucky after they've taken that tube and they've pulled everything out then they'll take a hose and they'll wash it down and then they'll they'll suck all that out and then they'll put the top back not mr harlan after he sucked everything out and rinsed everything off he put on waders like if you're going fishing 
He put on waders, and he went down into the septic tank with the hose, and he washed down the septic tank from inside with his hose. And then he took that hose, then he took the, 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 the thing that sucks it out, and he sucked all that out again. And when he got out and he washed himself down, I had to ask him. I said, I can't believe you did that. Why do you go down into the septic tank and clean it out? And this is what he said to me. He said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. The way I clean septic tanks reflects Jesus. I clean septic tanks in the name of Jesus. The power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The power that transforms a Mr. Harlan to give him a new life causes him to want to clean septic tanks in the name of Jesus and to do it in a way which brings the kingdom in. So how do you drive? How do you treat your neighbors? How do you do your work between Sundays? God calls us as we sing hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He calls us to anticipate the time when we can be with him. And even beyond that, to anticipate his restoration of all things. But he brings that home by saying, don't forget your citizenship. Your citizenship is primarily in the kingdom of heaven. And because it is, what you do and why you do it and how you do it is a reflection of my kingdom. My kingdom coming and my will being done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we celebrate the resurrection? Yes, by declaring he is risen indeed. But by declaring his resurrection power over our lives between Sundays. I watched this happen in the life of Paul Malone. Paul Malone was a salesman for Timken Bearing Company. And he would travel his area and sell his bearings. And as Paul shared this with me, he said, you know, by the time I was in my mid-40s, while other people were waking up in the morning and getting a cup of coffee to try to get started. He said, that's not the way I would start my mornings. He said, I was so frustrated with life. I'd have to get up in the morning. And he said, the first thing I would do is pour a glass of orange juice. And then I would pour a glass of vodka. And he said, I would take a swig of orange juice and a swig of vodka. And a swig of orange juice and a swig of vodka. And I keep doing that until I threw up. And I do that every morning in order to be able to get up and to face what I had to do. But he said, you know, one day I saw my son with a book under his arm sneaking into the bathroom. And I was wondering what he was doing. I found out from my wife that he was going into the bathroom to read the Bible. He didn't want to do it out in the open because he was afraid of what I might say to him. Give him a hard time, ridicule him. But I had been watching my son and seeing what was happening in his life, and he was acting differently. Something had taken place. 
So he said, when my son wasn't at home one day, I went upstairs to his room and I grabbed his Bible. He said, I started looking through his Bible, started reading it, started looking at where he marked it. He said, I would do that. Over days, I would go into his room when he wasn't there and I'd read his Bible. He said, finally, I read in his Bible a place where it said that Jesus' resurrection was for me. That Jesus died for my sins. He said, I I bowed down and I asked Jesus to come into my life. In his mid-40s. Friends, Paul Malone began caring for people like he never cared before. He, He shared with his wife what took place and she started going to church with him. And she became a Christian. And then they began opening their house to singles in the church who were lonely and who didn't have a place to go. And they began gathering people into their home. And week after week, people would just come over for dinner after, after church till they would have 20 and 30 and 40 people in their house talking about Jesus. The last time I saw Paul Malone was at a conference. And we were standing in a circle and someone said to him, we were talking about raising our kids, Someone said to him, when did you stop discipling your kids? And he said, oh, I haven't stopped. Well, what are you teaching your kids right now? He said, I'm teaching my kids how to die. I'm teaching my kids how to have hope in the resurrected Christ as I go through cancer. Paul Malone was transformed. He was transformed to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. He had a hope and an anticipation of a life beyond the grave and a deep sense of expectation of when God would give him a resurrected body. But until that time, he said, as a citizen of the kingdom, I am here to as Bono says, pull back a little from the darkness and bring the light into the darkness. To exert and be an example of that power that Christ is using to subject all things to himself. And that's our opportunity to celebrate the resurrection, to anticipate the future, but to live between Sundays as his citizens, seeing his power brought to bear in Rome and beyond. Let's pray together. Jesus, we praise you for your resurrection. We praise you that on this Sunday we can rejoice together that death could not hold you. But we thank you that it's more than just that. We thank you that your resurrection power has come upon us if we are in Christ. We pray that, Lord, this week we would demonstrate Easter in the way that we live and work, the way that we treat our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. We pray that people would be able to see the resurrection even as they see us. And Father, I pray this morning for anyone in this room who does not 
know that resurrection power. Lord, I pray that you would give them the curiosity to have a conversation, whether it's with Brian or me or David or anyone else in this room who knows you. I pray that you'd give them the courage to have a conversation, to explore what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Help us to rejoice. Help us to remember. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.